Please open your Bibles to the book of Colossians, chapter 1, and you'll find that on page 1182. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's the page number of these red Bibles here. If you grab one of those, take one of those, and turn to page 1182, and you'll find yourself at Colossians chapter 1. And although we're going to be focusing on verses 21 to 23, I'm just going to read it in its context from verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He, meaning uh, the Son that God loves, the Lord Jesus, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith. Established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is God's word. Just keep that open, please. These are very important Uh, verses today, whether you are here as a Christian or someone who's not a Christian. The Apostle Paul uh, was writing to a Christian church in Colossae to urge them basically to stay rooted in Christ. Every generation will face its own particular challenges and different cultures that will seek to pull Christians away from their confidence in Jesus Christ. It can come through uh, brutal Opposition, like persecution, it, it can come through much more subtle and seductive ways. The pull of philosophies, of, of spiritualities that suggest that, that Jesus Christ is not enough. Uh, that actually that there is a higher plane of understanding, a, a, a deeper experience that can be had if you uh, absorb what they are saying that offers you a fuller life. Something more. And every culture has had those, every time through history, has had those moments, those different philosophies that seek to pull Christians away 
from trusting in Christ. So this is such an important book. Paul is writing to Christians. He's, he's described them in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 2, as those who are in Colossae and in Christ. These are people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ. And after telling them uh, how he thanks God for them and what he prays for them, Paul took time to remind them of how great is this person in whom they've put their trust. And we studied last week the, the verses that I read from verses 15 to uh, 20 about the preeminence of Jesus Christ, that he alone is the unique revealer of God. He's the ruler of, over all creation. He's the ruler over the church and the reconciler of all creation. And so there is nothing, there is no one who trumps Jesus Christ. That's, that's the point of what he's uh, explained to them. Nothing trumps Jesus. There's, when you're in Christ, there is no better place to turn. There is no better person to turn to. And that is exactly where they are already situated as people who are in Christ. And, and Paul wants to sort of underline this as he writes this letter. And so he moves from this universal picture of Christ being the one through whom everything in creation is reconciled. And he zooms in. He focuses in on on them, he wants to remind them that they, a group of people in Colossae, that they have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. They probably met in some home somewhere. It might well have been the home of Philemon. Philemon uh, was from Colossae. Maybe they met in Philemon's home. And as they read in this letter, can you imagine? They've just had this amazing picture of the cosmic Christ. And then Paul turns from the subject of, uh, of Christ being the subject to you. In verses 21, 22, and 23, you, they are the focus. This cosmic Christ who's reconciled all things. Well, guess what? He's reconciled you. He wants to push it home. When they first launched the National Lottery, uh, they had a slogan, It could be you. And uh, there was a famous advert where uh, this guy was walking along with his ticket and this golden finger came out of the sky and uh, announced to him, it's you. You've won 10 million pounds. Well, and that, that, of course, was done to encourage people to go out and buy a lottery ticket, where practically every week they heard, it's not you, sucker. You've been scammed and ripped off. No, they don't, they didn't, that wasn't the advert. They did not include that for some reason. But it, I don't know why it made me think of it, but I, I just thought, you know, this, verse 21 has this wonderful sense of God's divine finger coming down to this little house church in Colossae uh, to this group and it's saying it's you this has happened to you and so my Christian friends as, as we look at these uh, three verses this morning I want you to remember this if you are in Christ today this is true of you this is true of you meditate with me about this amazing thing that has happened to us who are Christians today Paul reminds them of their past, their present, and their future. Their past. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. No doubt, uh, like me, you've been reading much of the press this last week that's tried to make sense of what happened in Paris 
and commentators are struggling to understand how men and women who basically were brought up in France and Belgium could feel so estranged from their culture that they could commit such terrible terrorist acts. It seems so unnatural, so wrong to turn on the very countries that had given them so much. What had happened? Well, they'd become alienated. Their mindset had been infected with sort of an extreme Islamic ideology that made them enemies of their fellow citizens and therefore willing to commit these evil acts. Well, this is the biblical diagnosis of all human beings in our fallen state. We are alienated from God. Our loving creator who has, who has poured so many blessings into our lives. But despite this loving care of our creator, we don't give him thanks. We don't acknowledge him and his rightful rule over our lives. We are alienated from him. We are alienated from Jesus Christ, God the Son. The very one through whom everything was made and that everything exists for and that he holds together. We are alienated from him. And that alienation is seen in many ways in our culture, isn't it? Uh, the name of Jesus is most commonly heard on the streets as a casual curse. Just a little reminder of opposition. People can become very uncomfortable when you talk positively about Jesus. It looks like apathy, but it is actually antipathy, the Bible says. Uh, I was walking past a street performer on the Royal Mile to visit. Uh, was having a meal with a friend, and as I was rushing past the street performer, he had a huge crowd around him. And uh, you know what they do? They 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 they're building up some some amazing daring feet that they sort of milk for as long as they can with lots of jokes before this big moment. And he'd obviously got them up to a frenzy. He was about to do this great death-defying act for them on the street. And he said, well. Uh, Well, I've got your attention, he said. Uh, There's something very important I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Only joking, I want to talk to you about giving money. And everybody roared with laughter. Such was the relief in the air. Well, that's actually where our culture is at. We are alienated from God. We are alienated from God's Son. And that alienation is, is not just in our thinking, but is also in our actions. We choose to do wrong things. And, and our selfish, sinful choices, actually, that lead us to immoral actions, further feed into our wrong choices because we want to justify those actions. And so the cycle continues of alienation and enmity and estrangement. Now, of course, this is not how people see themselves at all. Uh, one evening this week, I was flicking through the TV channels, and I came across uh, a TV program where a man was putting in a scanner that detected his body fat levels. Well, I was glued for a brief five minutes, I think. I suppose we've all heard about the problems of, of, of growing obesity, haven't we? We all know, theoretically, that uh, people are getting fatter and fatter, uh, and, uh, you know... It's causing significant health problems. People are actually uh, dying earlier because of obesity. But here was a man, this is what I found fascinating, here was a man who was moving from generalities to uh, something quite specific. It was his body being scanned. 
It was his fat levels that were being measured and filmed on television for our entertainment. You know, he didn't look particularly overweight to me. He didn't feel unwell. But nevertheless, the, uh, he was told the sobering facts that actually his fat levels were at a worrying high levels in his body. And in fact, the fat was in really bad places. It was surrounding a lot of his vital organs, pressing in on his vital organs, putting stress and strain, and he was on track for a much shorter life than if he was thinner. The man thought he was fine. The medical examiner had to reveal the pathology and the disease that was his true state. And so it is with the average man or woman on the street. They don't see that they've got any problem about their lives uh, without Jesus. They don't think they've got any problems. But here's the biblical scanner. Apart from Jesus, we are alienated from God. Uh, Paul wrote another letter around this time to the church in Ephesus. And he says this in, in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Something much more sinister than fat hardening hearts is this ignorance and separation from God. And that, Paul, reminds these Christians in Colossae, that is what you once were. But here's the wonderful thing. They who were people who were just like that, alienated from God, are the very ones who are now reconciled. Verse 22. But now... He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. Now we began to consider this last week, this language of reconciliation. We speak of separated couples as being reconciled when they come together again. We speak of opposing sides in a dispute being reconciled or the arbitration of third parties achieving uh, reconciliation in industrial relations. Reconciliation means this healing of broken relationships, the restoring of of relationships which have been lost or renounced or forfeited in some way. And our alienation from God, our mindset of enmity and evil behavior has caused a great separation between us and our Creator. And that makes us worthy of His condemnation. Just as we are utterly appalled at the wrong actions of the terrorists in Paris, God was appalled at it, but God is appalled at all our sin and all our corruption. But God has done something about this. He's made a way of reconciliation. That's what what Paul is, is rejoicing to write about here. And he achieved that reconciliation through the willing sacrifice of his son Jesus upon the cross point is that God has done it. God has achieved it. Reconciliation is always costly. Forgiveness, reparation, restoration are not easy things, especially when terrible things have been done that have caused the break. And this was a real costly sacrifice of his beloved son, This reconciliation was achieved in the body of Jesus' flesh. That's the stress of the language here. It's because his body was beaten, torn, nailed to a wooden cross. It was because his blood was poured out 
to death. Because of Jesus, they were now reconciled. This is the stunning thing. At great cost, at the highest price, this is what God has done to people alienated from him, enmities, enemies of him. They have now been reconciled to God through this amazing act. This transforms life for the Christian, I think. Uh, whatever challenges, whatever heartaches we, we face in this messed up world, our suffering is not because we're enemies of God, alienated from God. No, God did the costliest thing so that we could become friends. Do you know what? Apart from Christ, we remain as alienated enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we are utterly lost. But all who trust Christ are reconciled to God. This is how God makes friends. And thirdly, there is now a new future for them. Verse 22. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Here's the purpose of the reconciliation. History will not keep rolling on and on and on. There is a terminus. There is an end point, And it is the day of judgment. When every man and woman who has ever lived will have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account to him as the judge for their thoughts and words and actions. And the purpose of this reconciliation is that on that day that they would be presented before Christ as people who are holy, blameless, without blemish, free from accusation. You see, Christ went to that cross 2,000 years ago because he had that future day in view. What was accomplished there had its purpose to determine what will happen on that day. And because of his death, those who are reconciled will on that day be free from any accusation. We will be declared not guilty. We will be declared right before God, justified on the basis of his life, on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done in his death. It's not my works, it's not my record, it's not my blamelessness. It is one that comes from Christ's reconciling death. In the language of 1 Peter, Jesus is described as the lamb without blemish or defect. That's how he can look on us, who trust him as those who are blameless, without blemish. Free from accusation. It is the precious blood of the perfect Christ that redeems and reconciles us. Because of him, we who were once alienated are now reconciled and will one day be presented before him as blameless on the day of judgment. Do you want to know what the outcome is going to be on the day of judgment when you stand before God? Well, if you're trusting Christ, there it is. Not guilty. Blameless. And this has massive implications. It has massive implications for what we must do now. It means we must keep trusting Christ. Verse 23. If you continue 
in your faith, established and firm. Not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Do you see the, the clarity there? They must continue in uh, the faith is the original language. That is the gospel. They must continue in that. You see, the sovereign grace of God that this passage speaks of does not remove human responsibility. There is a solid foundation upon which to build your life. But if you move away from that solid foundation of the gospel and build your life anywhere else, then there's no future of standing blameless before the judge. It is absolutely critical that we do not move away from the hope held out to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please do not imagine for one moment that a person who abandons the faith will be presented blameless before Christ. A person whose confidence in Christ has collapsed can have no such hope. There is nothing more important for you in life than persisting in your dependence upon this Christ. That you would be firmly established in your faith in Him. It is so tragic to know people, and I can, I can see some of their faces, who, who once had such joy as Christians, who, walk away, who walked away from Jesus. They wanted something more than Jesus. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe uh, that they knew was wrong. Maybe it was they wanted to follow a lifestyle that, they, that, that following Jesus wouldn't allow. Following Christ seemed too inconvenient for the false promise of the something else. And we can sometimes seek to console ourselves as they stopped uh, coming to church and seem disinterested in the things of Christ that, well, it's okay because they once made a profession of faith. They, they once got baptized. They, they once were a member of this church or maybe they're still on the membership role. Maybe they find that comforting themselves. But it is an empty hope. If we're walking away from Christ and no longer placing our confidence and our hope in Him, there is no basis of assurance that we are reconciled to God. There is no hope that on that day we will stand holy in his sight and free from accusation. So I want to say to you with utmost seriousness and earnestness today, do not move away from the solid hope of the gospel. There is no other ground that is safe than in Christ. It was, uh, it was a privilege to spend uh, a brief time on Thursday with uh, Sid and Jill and the family. And even though he was in a lot of pain and uh, taking very strong medications, the thing that really um, made Sid respond and react was reading God's Word. And as I reminded Jill and spoke to him, his favorite verse from Hebrews uh, Sid opened his eyes and uh, leaned forward. The verses that we do have such a, you know, we have a great high priest who, who is like us in every way yet without sin. And Sid leaned forward and he said, oh, but he could have sinned, he had all power, but he didn't for us. That was his hope, right to the end. That is the only place of hope in this wonderful Savior who chose not to sin 
so that he could be the perfect sacrifice for sinners so that you could be reconciled to God if you continue in the faith. So my Christian friends, don't be moved from this hope that you heard about in the gospel. What is it that will keep us established and firm? Well, it is this. It is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that we have heard preached to us. Study it. Meditate on it. Think more deeply about the gospel. There's some wonderful books out there. Have you ever read John Stott's book, The Cross of Christ? It is a, it is a magnificent book. It's probably his greatest book as he meditates on, on, on this amazing act of what Christ has done for us. Dig into the gospel, understand it, meditate on it, praise God for it. Believe it. Do not move from it. Verse 23, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This gospel that the Colossians heard is God's word to the whole world. Is it a bit of exaggeration or hyperbole? It's been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, I've wrestled with that this week. The truth is that what happens at that uh, uh, the cross of Christ is news for the whole universe. It's news of reconciliation for the whole world. And it's now up to the servants of the gospel to go heralding this good news to the whole world because it is news for the whole world. The events of Good Friday in Jerusalem should be preached to the whole world that this world can be reconciled. It's messed up by sin, but it will be sorted. Evil will be punished. Evil will be banished. Enemies can become friends. Alienated people can become reconciled to God. Are you reconciled to God? Are you friends with God today? Come to Christ if you're not. Confess your sin. Repent. Turn away from it. Come to the cross where his blood was poured out that you could be reconciled to God. Trust him. He was raised on the third day. He's a living savior that you can trust and depend on for the rest of your life. Paul believed that message. He had become a servant of that gospel. This man who, as we saw, thought about last week, was like a like a religious terrorist of his day, and yet he met the living Christ, and he turned a man who was a murderous, uh, violent man into a preacher of love and hope and reconciliation. This is what Christ does through his gospel. And, you know, we're invited to, to be part of this reconciliation of all things by trusting Christ and then becoming agents of that reconciliation by heralding this good news. You do not have to be enemies of God. You can be friends with God. You can be friends with God today if you've not done that already. Share it with others. It's not a mystical experience we need. It is people who will speak the words of this gospel to others. And he can use us to help others.
What should our response to ISIS be? Well, perhaps, sadly, bombs and bullets might have to be used. But bombs will not destroy a twisted ideology and a wrong theology. This view that, uh, a f- uh, that the hope of the world is a world full of Islam that requires violence and murder and terror and rape and barbarity, well, that's by people who think that they're earning their salvation doing these things. No, we need to not merely send bombs, but Bibles and proclaim that there is a better hope in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The good news that salvation and reconciliation has been achieved through that one sacrifice where he willingly offered himself to bring forgiveness and justification. Nothing comes close to the importance and significance of the gospel. Stick with it. Do not allow some other way of seeing life and the world to turn you from it. Don't be moved from your hope in this gospel. It's the hope of all creation. Do you know that? It really is. On Christ the solid rock we stand. Let's pray.